0: Blog Talk Radio.
3: Well, howdy, 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 howdy everybody. Welcome to the show. It is Monday, May 18th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I appreciate you tuning in to the Leftist Right Show this week. We'll be here every day, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern Time with all sorts of fun stuff. I got some excellent interviews for you this week. We have some of our special correspondents tuning in and speaking of that it is musical monday today all my guests are music inspired and coming up we're going to have our special correspondent jay knight with his very first music minute in just a couple moments then i have two fantastic interviews today with singer songwriters in their own right mr spencer day is fantastic singer little blend of jazz little pop Such a great sound. And then Stuart Taylor is another R&B pop guy. Great music as well. You're going to love both these artists today, guys. I'm very excited to bring them to you. So we'll have those in just a couple of moments. And uh, I'll get into Jay's musical minute in just a second. Hope you guys all had a fantastic weekend. As I said uh, during the radio last week that Ohio is opening up slowly this past Friday. We opened patio seating for restaurants and haircut salons and tattoo parlors and day spas for massages and things like that. So I took advantage. Friday was an eight-hour wait for a haircut. Saturday was an eight-hour wait for a haircut. Yesterday, I finally got my hair cut and trimmed up after a four-and-a-half-hour wait, so it felt like a bargain, I'm telling you. But it was 75 degrees out, and I went to a little patio restaurant and worked on some stuff yesterday, and it was worth every second of it. So that was awesome. Also, I'm getting announcements out for the Big Gay Road Trip Part 3. I will be going from Northeast Ohio here to beautiful Palm Springs, California. Be doing shows live from July 12th through August 12th at the Indulge Resort in Palm Springs. Our good friends John and Sandy have invited us back for our third year. We also have some other surprises hopefully coming up. I am looking for a graphic designer to maybe put some kind of a graphic together for it because mine are really stupid, but I have to put it together the next day or two. So if you're a graphic designer, know someone who is, send them my way. You can go to my uh, social media pages on twitter and instagram at left of straight that's at l-e-f-t-o-f-s-t-r and the number eight facebook it's the left of Stro- left of straight show page or my personal page is scott fullerton and it's a public page you can post there or you can go to the website left of com and left of straight's always spelled l-e-f-t-o-f-s-t-r and the number eight.com and send me your idea and if i pick your design i will give you a free swag bag of all the goodies I'll be giving to my celebrities down in the Palm Springs trip. So I appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to that also sponsors. If you're looking out there and sponsor, I'm always looking for different sponsors for the trip. So you can look at that for the website as well. Let's get things moving here in just a second. We got a great lineup for today. Great week. If you saw my Instagram post of all the celebrities coming on this week, I do have an addition. That I made today that I'm very, very excited about. On Wednesday's show, for the first time in the Left is Straight show, I'm having the amazing, talented Peter, Peter Page on. Uh, Peter, of course, was on Queer as Folk. He's uh, produced and written for the Fosters. He written and produced and directed The Thing About Harry, an excellent freeform movie that was out. So I'm very excited. I just found out today that Peter's gonna be on Wednesday's show live in the first segment at six fifteen, so be sure to look for that but let's jump right into musical monday we're going to start off with a music minute from my good buddy jay knight his very first time as our musical minute special correspondent he comes from buffalo new york he's an amazing singer singer and songwriter and if you've listened to the show for a long time you hear me play his songs all the time between guests so we're going to go ahead and talk to him and then when we're done Well, Spencer Day up first. Two live interviews today, guys. Can I talk the entire time? Spencer Day will be up in just a few minutes and then Stuart Taylor. So let's go ahead and get right to it. Our very first musical minute with Mr. Jay Knight. Jay, how you doing, buddy?
4: I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I think this is a great idea, uh, what you've put together here, and I'm looking forward to uh, jumping in with both feet. So thanks again for thinking of me for this. Yeah, I'm just super excited. So how, how have you been?
3: I've been doing really good, my friend. Uh, everything's getting through Corona here, and I know we talked off air. You're doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm just excited. You know I love your take on music. I love the words you write and the way you sing. But I'm excited that you're going to be able to introduce us to some exciting new artists we might not have heard of before, and you have some great tricks of the trade as well for up-and-coming artists. So thanks for your expertise, my friend.
4: Yes, and um, I'm just going to jump into it. Um, So things this is the first time we're doing it, obviously, Scott, so I'm sure the format will will change from show to show until we hone it, and we may even come up with a name for this specific segment. I don't know. We can spitball that maybe someday, Um, but... Today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an indie artist tip, and then I'm going to introduce you to an artist you may or may not have heard of before, and uh, then you're going to play her song, and, uh, and that'll be a wrap. So today's tip, and actually, let me pre, uh, preface this by saying that all the tips I'm going to give people are tips on what not to do, not what to do, because if I knew what to do, I'd be signed, and then I'd be selling that information, okay? But that's obviously not the case. So I'm, I, But I have made a lot of mistakes in my life, in my career, I should say, and life, but career here. And I'm going to tell you a lot of the mistakes that I have made that I think uh, other indie artists can hopefully avoid making um, if they hear this. So today's tip, never, ever, under any circumstances, buy engagements. Now, you may be wondering, what are you talking about? What are engagements? So social media engagements, retweets, uh, likes, Facebook likes, Facebook video views. YouTube views, YouTube likes, shares, comments, uh, Spotify streams, and SoundCloud streams, all this kind of stuff. Never, ever buy them. And there's three reasons. I'm going to give you those reasons. The first reason is they are always fake, always fake, 100% guaranteed. It's not an opinion. They are always fake. Okay, because no reputable marketing company can guarantee you engagement on your product. If your product stinks, if your song stinks, if your video stinks, they can't guarantee you a certain amount of views or a certain amount of likes or or anything like that. So any company that guarantees you or gives you a range of of views or, or likes or anything like that, it's always fake 100%, okay? So that's the main reason. That's one of the reasons. Essentially, what you're doing is you're buying garbage, Okay. Um, and a lot of indie artists actually know this and do it anyways because they believe in this old adage, fake it until you make it. That is a, is a, is a fallacy. It's a myth. It doesn't, it's not true. No one fakes it until they make it. Okay? And I know this because I know that record labels aren't stupid. I like to think they are because, well, they haven't signed me yet. But the reality is they're not stupid. They know what a fake, They know what fake engagements look like. Hell, I know what fake engagements look like, and I'm just a regular guy. I mean, the Internet's been around long enough. It's not 2005 anymore. People can tell when a YouTube video has a bunch of fake views, fake comments, you know, when a Spotify, when a Spotify song has a million streams, but you can't find it on any playlist. People aren't stupid. Um, record labels aren't stupid. You can't fake it until you make it. It's not a real thing. Don't do it, okay? That's reason number one. Reason number two, algorithms. So let me explain that. So YouTube and Spotify – specifically those two, have very, very well-made algorithms. And these algorithms do a bunch of things. But one of the main things that they're built for is to identify hot videos and hot singles so that they can boost them to the top of search, put them on homepages, put them on um, editorial uh, playlists is, is when uh, you're talking about Spotify, make them suggested content on YouTube, um, things like that. When you fake your engagement, you're not sending the right sing- signal to these algorithms. So what you're really doing is you're guaranteeing that no one will ever find your stuff because when you fake this, like I said, you're sending the wrong signals. You're not going to be high up in search. You're not going to be suggested content. You will never get on an editorial playlist on Spotify ever, ever, if you're faking streams because you can't fake saves. and You can't fake good playlist placement on Spotify. And Those are the two two other things they're really looking for on Spotify. Are you getting a lot of saves? And are you getting placed on a bunch of other people's uh, playlists? That shows that your song's hot, that people like it. And then the editorial playlists, um, those curators then get notified of your songs. It's brought to their attention, and they can then put, then they're likely to place you on theirs. And those are the money makers, the editorial playlists. So that's reason number two. You are you can't fool the algorithms. Again, this isn't 2005. They're super smart, and you're not smart enough. You're never gonna beat them. So just don't buy fake engagements. That's reason number two. Reason number three is you will get banned. Eventually, you cheat long enough, you will get caught, and you will get banned. At the very least, your video or song will get removed. Um, So it's just not worth worth doing. So that's my indie artist tip. Don't fake it until you make it. Don't buy garbage engagements because they don't work, and you're just going to look like an idiot, and you're probably going to get banned from these platforms. All right. So there's my tip. I hope, I hope, uh, you know, that that was smooth and and it made sense to everybody. So now we come to the part where I am going to introduce the indie artist. Are you ready? Are you ready, Scott? Are you ready for this? She's amazing.
3: I'm ready. Let me have it.
4: All right. All right. So today's indie artist spotlight is Madison Olds. The first time I heard this, um, this artist, She's, she's just one of those artists where you're listening and you're wondering to yourself, why, why isn't she signed? Why isn't she famous? Why isn't she on a major label? She's that good. She really is. Um, you know I I hear tons of indie artists all the time, and frankly, there's a reason many of us are indie. <laughs> okay? She's different. She's amazing. She's got uh, just a spectacular voice. Her songwriting skills are top-notch. Um, she's smart as hell, she's got the look. The only thing she, you know, the only thing that she needs is to be in the right place at the right time and meet the right person. Because in the end, that's really what you need to make it in any business like this is you need that little bit of luck. She's got everything else going for her. If she can just get that little break, I really think she could be a major label artist. She could have a hit. And I think the song that we are going to play uh, of hers in a minute could be that hit. It's, it's a super catchy song. She hails um, from that lovely place up north, Scott, uh, we call Canada, where everyone is friendly and smiles all the time, and it's super clean. We all love Canada. She also on the Canadian border, Ohio, you know, Cleveland and Buffalo, right around there. Her website is MadisonOlds.com. That is M-A-D-I-S-O-N old, Olds, uh, old com. Madison Olds dot com, you can find all her links to all her uh, social media there, and she's um, she's played all over Canada. She's played in the U.S. She's actually played in Singapore last fall. Um, she has a, a you know pretty big following too. She's way more popular than I am. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so uh, I really encourage everyone to check her out, especially um, you know after you hear the song. I I don't think I'm even going to have to. To, to prod anybody, I think you're going to go and check her right out. So without further ado, Scott, um, the song I think you're you're going to play here is Moments in the Mountains. So you can play it whenever you want, Scott. If you've got any other questions for me, go ahead. If not, let's, let's let this roll.
3: No, Jay, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for introducing us to a fantastic new artist. I appreciate the tip, and we'll see you in two weeks, my friend. Thank you.
4: All right. Thank you. You take care. Ten years
3: from today we fall. Say how we
0: remember when we'd pack our bags and we'd climb to the top just to watch the sun rise. We catch our breath of faith.
3: Righty guys, we are back. Thank you to Jay Knight for our very first musical minute with him, and thanks for featuring indie artist Matty Olds. Very good music. But speaking of good music, guys, I am so happy to have on for the first time to the show a gentleman who's been across my radar for it's been a couple of years now. I've been a huge fan. He's a number one Billboard jazz pop singer and songwriter. He performed from the Hollywood Bowl in L.A. to Lincoln Center, New York, to London's West End, everywhere in between. His album, Vagabond, was on the Billboard charts for an amazing 47 weeks, and his album, Daybreak, debuted at number one on the iTunes jazz charts. It's his amazing – oh, I can't speak today, sorry. If his amazing music and handsome good looks don't draw you in. His compassion in working with charities such as Feeding America and Border Angels Will – Please welcome to the Leftist Trade Show for the very first time, Mr. Spencer Day. Spencer, I'm sorry I've rented lips. How are we doing, buddy?
1: Oh, doing great. Thank you so much. Well. What, a, what a lovely introduction. I hope I can live up to any, any part of it. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
3: Well, I'm glad to have you. I've been trying for a while. I think I first reached out to you. I, actually, I know. I looked that up today. I first reached out to your publicist back in I think September of 2018 and it's taken me a hot minute to get you on the show so thanks for taking the time
1: Oh no I'm 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 thrilled I'm thrilled to do it too sometimes I there's th- you know, when you're out on tour, you don't realize um, – you know what I just realized yesterday, actually? It's like I really need to check my junk mail folder because not everything that goes there is junk. <laughs> I got something that was really important. I was like, I don't know why this and, – and so that's happened before. There's been some other interviews or even gigs I'd really love to do, and then, you know, things can get – lost. but I'm, anyway, the main point is that we're here now together, and I'm, I'm thrilled.
3: Exactly. I mean, I don't usually thank COVID-19 for much, but hey, what the heck? How are you holding <laughs> I up mean, in all this, my friend? <laughs> um, You know,
1: I know at the risk of, not only sound cheesy, but you know, for everything that sometimes things need to break apart so that something better can come together. Um, which is actually mm. a quote Marilyn Monroe said, which is a beautiful quote, but this is a woman who died alone naked in her bed. So, <laughs> take that <on> <laughs> With a grain of salt, Um, the brilliant woman. uh, But um, I always thought that that was a really beautiful way of looking at it. Sometimes some things need to break down to break through. And and I think that there, you know, obviously this sucks to high heaven. I don't know anyone really will, you know, there might be some people profiteering off of it who are super, (laughs) super stoked. Or just some companies right. who didn't plan it that way, like Zoom, who were like, oh, my God, this is they're, they're, they're the Rockefellers of this whole uh, debacle. But, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I've been actually pretty peaceful with it. I think like most musicians, I've kind of you know, lost all my work for the foreseeable future, or at a minimum, it's kind of on hold. And there's kind of a I, – I saw somewhere someone posted something. I don't want to take credit for it, but someone said – what we're experiencing right now is the pain from the withdrawals of our addiction to certainty. And I thought that that was Ooh. a really good way of looking at it because, uh, because we, we kind of go on this myth of certainty and until, you know, in any form of natural disaster or man made disaster comes along. And um, it's, I've actually been in a pretty peaceful place with it. I've been really creative and, um, yeah, it's been, you know, I'm, I'm taking the blessings with it because the parts that suck, you know, we're, we're all pretty aware of and no, no real need to even really go into them. In, unless you want to, we can kvetch.
3: <laughs> <If> you <laughs> don't need to get too in like, depth. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure, though, yeah, uh, someone like you who is on the road probably 60 to 75% of the year, it's either got to be a really nice break or you got to be creating things like crazy or a combination thereof.
1: Definitely both. I, there's a part of me that I feel like, you know, one of the things that we probably should look at is, as a bit of a myth is if the economy was really doing so well before, then why is everybody two paychecks away from disaster? And also, I think right. everybody, you know, if, if things were booming everyone I know was working so hard in such long hours. And as you know, for a lot of people, the, the, the pay rates were not um, increasing along with the cost of living over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. So I'm, I am enjoying that there's that things have kind of slowed down. I think that there's kind of a pause to that um, because I have been, you know, I was missing friends and family before this <laughs> ever happened, I was, and I, which kind of a good lesson to learn, because, you know, we can kind of put off seeing people like, okay, I'm just going to take a few more gigs, and then I'm finally going to go see my mom, you know, so I hadn't gotten to see a lot of friends and family, some of them for close to a year, because, you know, fortunately, I was um, touring a lot. So, so you know, that, that part of it kind of is a blessing. And then I think, you know, the other part is that you, when you're your own boss, as I'm sure he, as you know, too, you have to keep yourself creating. And I think, the tendency to kind of get sad and and get depressed, which like many artists is something I'm very well (laughs) equipped for doing. Um, For me, I'm like, just keep, you know, and and I'm working on, and I've got an electronica project that we're working on and um, this project of instrumental music I'm writing with this flamenco guitarist in Mexico um, so for me, and we have our Broadway project, we all did a, all Broadway tunes, um, that's going to be coming out. Um, hopefully, well, it was set to come out in the next few months. It might, might be more like six months at this point. So there's plenty, um, plenty to do. And, and I think also plenty of people I can kind of re-engage with. So I don't want to say that it's, it's been fun or that I'd prefer go through it again, but, you know, we're all, you know, we're all walking each other home through this.
3: You're doing what you gotta do. I like it. And you mentioned yeah. Mexico. I know you were down there with Effie Pacero and we have a couple of amazing duets that we're going to play in the, uh, just a little bit here, but talk about that. And I understand she might still be down there. Um, tell me how that whole thing went around.
1: That, that she is. And and I would assume some of your followers have um, already know of Effie. And if you don't, um, she truly not just saying this, in, you know, uh, hyperbole or, Uh, she, she's one, she's one of my favorite singers that I've ever, that I've ever heard. Um, and, uh, we went down, I was like, I, I speak Spanish and, and I have a lot of good relationships down there. So I was like, let's go to Guadalajara and we'll go to Puerto Vallarta and maybe Mexico city and, and, you know, get to make some music while we're there and then pick up a few other, um, opportunities to make music on, on the way. And, um, then with the week we left, we left on, I think the, 8th of March so in the states people in high (laughs) high levels were still just barely not calling it a hoax Um, I didn't think it was it was obviously I'd been in New York only a day before that and so it was um, you could feel the tension in the city but um, we headed Hmm. down and and then the whole world fell apart (laughs) and she um, we ended up in this really amazing situation we didn't plan it that way where we had kind of our quarantine crew. And so for this month and a half that we both stayed down there, um, we had people to make music with and she just decided to, to stay. I'm in a relationship and she's a, she's a single gal uh, as of uh, mm-hmm. us chatting a few days ago. So she, um, she just wanted to stay and, you know, she's in Puerto Vallarta. It's a beautiful city as, as, as many know. And uh, um, I came back from my relationship <laughs> Um, otherwise, I might have imported him down and uh, to to come uh, join us. But it, it was very surreal to watch this whole thing in another country in a way that was, um, you know, kind of sad to see of just how fractured the United States is at the moment and even just access to information. Because I think, you know, obviously, Mexico has issues with corruption and, 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 right. and you know, many other issues and income inequality and other things. But I didn't see... At least in my experience, and if still there, I see there's definitely people protesting and a lot of discord, but you don't see it becoming, politi- you know, politicized to a level of like you're kind of picking sides along with everything else. Or maybe because they went through the H1N1, the swine through, flu, too, there's more of a sense of okay, this is real, um, but let's just kind of do what we gotta gotta do. I didn't see the the sense of of real panic that I, you know, so when we were down there, we're watching this all happen. I was like, people are stockpiling toilet paper. Like why, (laughs) what is that going to do? Like no one down there could really kind of get the the end game for, you know, there's other items at the store. I could kind of understand, but that I was just like, what, what is that about? You know Um, so it was, it was, it was very special and very strange to be in another country kind of trying to get a sense of when we could come back. Cause then we'd be like, is it good to come back? No, we shouldn't move. Okay. No, everything's fine. They have testing kits forever. No, they don't. <laughs> so it was, um, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was kind of, I don't know in a way to be outside of the United States. It was kind of more, I don't say alarming, but more, um, somber to notice, uh, to notice how, how, uh, fractured, Things kind of feel unfortunately at the moment, just in terms of getting information. But uh, but uh, we definitely made the best of it and wrote songs, and it was a it was a really lovely hang.
3: I bet that sounds amazing though the creativity of it all, and I can't wait to play these two songs for the audience in just a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about your backstory. You've only been doing this publicly for 10 plus years. So surprise, surprise, they don't know about you, but let's uh, fill them in a bit. Talk about where you grew up. What kind of a kid were you and what did you first want to be when you grew up?
1: These are, these are wonderful questions. I'll start with your last, which I think will be an answer that might underwhelm you. (laughs) But um, when I was a kid, you know, because I didn't grow up where I grew up, which is in rural Utah, you know, wanting to go into music or do, you know, be on the stage or do professional uh, jazz. You know, a lot of the things I've gotten to do, is, as you kindly mentioned, like the Hollywood bowlers, that was just not on the menu. That was not an option or something <laughs> you even dreamed of pursuing. Had I felt entitled to that, I don't know if my dream would have been different. But as a kid, my two dreams were to be a travel agent. Or a flight attendant. <laughs> those, were, those were my two childhood dreams for when I grew up. That's
0: hilarious. Because you got
1: to travel. And then I there found out go. later that you could also you could also get to travel and make uh, make music to to do it, which was which <laughs> is cool. To um, and now I travel so much, all I want to do is uh, is laundry, which is why the quarantine, I think, compared to my uh, to my uh, boyfriend, I don't think is quite as tough on me because i've i've been gone so much that i'm still kind of enjoying the downtime where i think he's you know feeling more like what is that uh what is that movie where they're locked in the house that just won the oscar i can't remember <laughs> anyway
4: oh um, yeah that, but
1: uh yeah oh parasite, parasite. Larson. Oh, parasite. Right. oh i loved parasite
3: yeah. Oh, they're Are, they're
1: both locked in houses. <laughs> I guess it's all those movies. Everything that ends, uh, you know, ends disturbingly. God, I love exactly. the Parasite. That was good. But um, so I was, I guess, going backwards from those questions. So I wanted to be a flight attendant. Which to your second question, I was a weird kid <laughs> <laughs> and didn't really fit in for a number of reasons. I think obviously, you know, certain aspects that didn't really fit into the Mormon. Uh, you know, the Mormon uh, ideology, of course. But I think just apart from that, I was kind of withdrawn and sad. And I didn't really discover music or, you know, realize that it could have such a profound impact on my life until much later, I probably 19 or 20, and then started playing dive bars around 22. And then, um, uh, yeah, and then just kind of kept with that and didn't really didn't, I signed a development deal with Universal, but nothing came of it uh, in, I think, mm-hmm. maybe 2008. And then it was around 2010 that I, I did sign with Concord Records, and that's when we put out my uh, my uh, last record. But uh, always was kind of weird and, and came to music kind of late. And what was the first <laughs> I'm
3: sorry, I'm so ADD. That was today. just where you grew up, and you got that with the Utah thing, so we got it covered. Oh, I did, yes. Uh, it's yes. those compound questions. I get the guests every time with those. I have to learn to draw them out. <laughs> but no, great answers. I like it all, and weird is good. It's tough when we're younger, but I think weird is good. And I do want to talk about your coming out just a little bit. I mean, the story is never interesting, and, and Mormon has its own connotation to it. What I like to know about coming out is not necessarily a story, but when did you first come out to yourself? And when did you first kind of find your tribe or feel like a sense of community in the LGBTQ community?
1: That is a really wonderful question. And I don't think one that I've actually, believe it or not, in the many interviews I've done, I don't think I've ever been asked that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's – well – I think like a lot of people who grow up and I'm so grateful, like my mom is still Mormon, but she's been on a float in the gay pride parade with me with her Mormons for equality thing, which is really heartwarming and, and wonderful. And so I've, I've, I've been so happy Love to that. see that a lot has changed within that world, but I think growing up, you know, it was more like you turn your back on your kids and they're kind of, you know, persona non grata and you don't speak to them again. And I mean, that's still the case for a lot of people, but I think that yeah. there's definitely been a, a change because there's a lot of incredibly compassionate um, Mormon folk out there and and I think that's what made it painful is in some ways I related to the culture so much and I'm still very much culturally Mormon and that they, you know, helped the the nice old lady across the street there's a lot of thing aspects to the culture that I really appreciate but I think I mean I by the time I was 15 16 I was definitely pretty suicidally depressed and I think like a lot of people I've hung on to the damage from that you know until the present Mm -hmm. and in some ways though that that struggle is also a blessing because I think the problem we have right now is that there's a lot of people who really don't realize how good they've had it (laughs) or how privileged they have been, and so they don't they don't have the empathy or the understanding to appreciate what a struggle might be like for someone else and really character and empathy come from suffering because that's where you get to understand and and really over overcome something like uh, show me any interesting person and I'll show you someone who's had to overcome some adversity in their life. So the, I think the, the damage, the damage of that, I still have to, I still have to this day some of it in terms of the low self-esteem and not feeling deserving. But, but I think the first period of really feeling, that I was okay. And I knew my mom always loved me. It was kind of more the rest of the world and family around me that I, 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 I didn't know who my authentic self was. Cause you don't realize how much from an early age we can be performing for other people to be what we think they want us to be. Right. <laughs> so then why not go up on a stage and do it for a living? <laughs> um, uh, but uh i probably you know i came out i was gonna go on my you know my mormon mission was the plan and then i a friend of mine that i grew up with um her parents split and her dad lived in the bay area and so i came out for a weekend i was uh 18 and i took one look at the bay area and said that that's it and a week later i packed everything in my car didn't i think i had 300 dollars and my mom
0: Oh my waved,
1: you know, waved me off, and I had no plan for where to go. Uh, you know, crashed. At the time, San Francisco had a lot of rent by the week hotels, which were like out of a Central Casting movie, where there's a guy in a beer beer stained white tank <laughs> top with a beer, going like, "Hey, Stella, someone's at the front door." And I always thought bed bugs were like, like a fairy tale thing, like don't let the bed bugs bite. And then I learned that they were real, in fact. Um, oh god! so I stayed there. I, I slept in my car for a, a week or two here or there, you know, I set my alarm clock up in there and then I got a 24 hour fitness gym membership. So I showered there. Incidentally, I still have that same gym membership <laughs> nice. biggest success story. I hope, I hope they open <laughs> one day. Um, That's but, hilarious. uh, so I did that and then eventually, but I just had a lot of people who, I guess understood, you know, from their own, once again, that empathy of knowing what it's like to be an outsider or to struggle or to have the odds stacked against you. And I had some, the kindness of strangers as Blanche Dubois would, would say, um, from so many people Um, you know, some people, I think there were some strings attached, which being a little, gullible and naive i didn't realize until i was kind of are already in that needing a place to crash or you know mm-hmm. uh, so on but but i'd say more often than not my my life has been made possible in the fact that i'm here today by by people who believed in me when i didn't and could really help me get past some of that crippling low self-esteem and and now i i really feel a responsibility to do whatever i can to pay that forward and to try to use music as a vehicle to bring us together and to heal because we're hurt by other people, but we're healed by other people too.
3: Very well said. Wow. Amazing story. Thank you so much for that. I want to go ahead and get on to a lot of stuff. We need to talk about music from your old stuff to the new Broadway album that I'm very excited about to your YouTube covers, which are out of this world. Let's take a quick break. I want everyone else to listen to some of this fantastic music you made with Effie here. Let's start with a little bit of, since we're in the middle of it, state of emergency here. So listen to nice. the Day, and we'll be back on the other side. You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. i I got just back in the time. That was again Ethel Casero and my guest here today, Mr. Spencer Day. Spencer, I want to go through uh, some of your career. I wanted to talk about. It. I've loved your music for so long now. I think one of the best things I've seen written about you, which I loved, was on the Village Voice. It said, "If you're looking for the next Harry Connick Jr., Peter C- Conti, Johnny Rogers, forget it. There's not going to be one." So if you're looking for the very first Spencer Day, here he is, and what a prodigious singing, songwriting, and piano-plunking talent you are. I love that quote, and I like that you are you, my friend. I've been enjoying listening to your journey a lot.
1: Oh, well, thank thank you. I I feel like it's – I think it's Judy Garland um, who said, you know, it's better to be a a second-rate version of yourself than a first-rate impersonation of some. Of some someone else, you know. Right. So, uh, I it, it's a it's a more difficult path though to do it. Um, I think you know. I mean, I know even for Effie and a lot of people I know. I think sometimes the more uh, daring you want to be and the more risks you want to take as an artist like that. The recording we just played, we we just did that on uh, Eduardo's r- rooftop and made made a video. Um, while we were down there. And so I think she writes in such a number of styles too. And, and I do too, that you want to feel like you can follow wherever your inspiration leads you. But I think sometimes being, being, there are a a lot of artists who are good at being celebrities too, and good at marketing, but they are, but they are different. Um, they are different professions. And I think sometimes artists give themselves a hard time if they feel like they're not fitting in the mold because of what, um, because of what the world and, and marketing kind of dictates too. So if there's any right. young, uh, young singer songwriters out there who are just starting, it's not all about the Instagram like, And it's not all about like <laughs> the, the, the validation that everyone tells you. Cause in the end, you know, I mean some people it's, you know, 30 years after they created a body of work, some people like Mozart died penniless. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it really is about the work. It's about what you leave leave behind. And I think um, especially in kind of the instant gratification of the Internet age, it can be a little easy to forget. So so I, I appreciate personally you noticing that because, you know, you try to keep it real. <laughs> well, do you do thing. well, my
3: friend. I agree 100%. And like I said, you've had some great daybreak, of course, and vagabond. I want to talk to you for a second about Angel City because, it says it was recorded Capitol Records, and I actually used to work there. Talk about recording in that, like, historic downstairs studio there. Um, what kind of experience was mm-hmm. that like?
1: Oh, well, well first of all, well, were, were you an engineer there? What were you doing at Capitol Records? Sorry. For I wish. I was, I, in, I was in
3: the data control department. I was pressing buttons on a computer, unfortunately. But Capitol Records was an amazing company to work for. We got to go – every month they would do a um, – you can go down there and they'd have a sale in the basement and they fill one of the studios full of records. And you can buy these records for a buck a piece from the Capitol catalog. And then they had an amazing Christmas party there. And I hate to say how old I am, uh, Spencer, but the motels played at our Christmas party and it was amazing. Uh So I have great memories of Capitol records.
1: Uh, Well, that's a, there's a good, there. Things and places do have golden ages, and, and I feel like you got to see some of the golden age of, of the recording. But, but that's the thing about that space is it really does feel like you're kind of going into a church for music because there's still the old sign that says, quiet, please, recording. And there's pictures <laughs> of Judy Garland and Frank Sinatra, and they brought Frank Sinatra's mic out of the vault you know so we gotta so it was it really it really was really magical i think doing it live with that many musicians is such a special experience that really you're not afforded the nice um very often these days the nice thing is that it's easier to make a recording now because everyone can have a home studio but there's still something that's very hard to replicate when you have everybody in a room of that size able to kind of do it the old school way so it was um it was really, it was really cool. I loved it. Yeah. It was a great experience.
3: Fantastic. I like that. And talk about now, I mean, you're a seasoned pro now doing this, but I remember hearing that you had a lot of stage fright when you first started out. How do you, how do you overcome that? And is it something now that we have this weird Corona time and you're not playing as much, are you able to keep that at distance? Or are you afraid of that maybe coming back when you go back out there? Or talk about that part of the journey. Yeah, well,
1: I had debilitating, crippling stage fright. I think where I, when I played the Hollywood Bowl, I threw up before. Um, oh, no. And I think, you know, it, in a way, what's really helped me is it kind of relates to the low self-esteem and I think being comfortable with myself and my sexuality mm-hmm. and just who who I am as a person, you know, for me, I think the key to as a performer is you, you have to kind of work on your psychology and, as tried as it may sound, find ways to, um, to love yourself more. And so I, because it used to be, I would be so nervous and you can't even breathe. So then your pitch goes south and, you know, it's all just goes downhill. And I would realize that every time I was doing that afterwards, I would be really critical and down on myself. And actually uh, one of the musicians that I play with now, he said, you know, I've done hundreds of shows with you and you never say anything nice to yourself. It's always what you didn't do. And I've really tried to to change that. And it's made a huge uh, difference where before I go on stage now, I say, hey, you're a beautiful person and we're going to make people happy. I love you. In the mirror, I always find some reflective surface. <laughs> and then when I finish, I love that. Um, I, even, even if it kind of blew up in my face, I still go, I laugh and go, well that got away, but I'm proud of you. You did a good. Because if you're not your cheerleader, then, you know, we should expect as important as some gigs are, nothing should be so important that we have a black swan moment and (laughs) stab a piece of mirror (laughs) into our abdomen, just to know we're alive, you know? Um, So, uh, you know, so that's, that's improved, but it's been, I think there's the trial and error and and realizing also that not everybody's going to like you, you're going to get bad reviews. And, um, and sometimes the more original you are, the, 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 the more divisive the reviews will be. Um, but what well, I and mean, you were
3: asking? Uh,
1: oh, the Corona, the touring. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. I just, I just love that the positive affirmations are there because like we talked about before, there's just so much self-doubt already. And in our Instagram culture, you get 400 positive remarks and one bad remark that'll ruin your entire day. I just love that you're saying that and the importance of knowing your self-worth and it sounds like it was a journey for you but you're at it every day, which I think is really important. Yeah, in a way,
1: like music is kind of um, my Buddhist meditation in the evening because I have to keep bringing myself back to the present moment. I think that's why people love live performance. And I do believe, going to your corona question, I do believe that it will, it will, it has to live on because there's an experience like that about live performance that's different from a movie is that it's, everything is a reaction to what's happening in the moment. And so the audience is not a mm. passive part of that too. Like the more engaged and in the moment they are, the more the performer, both people in an ideal world should be elevating each other up. And and so it's a really, it's a really beautiful opportunity to celebrate, uh, celebrate the the present moment. And, and, uh, and I think try to try to really, as a performer, it's an opportunity to confront your demons. And and as we've seen many, many times over it, you know, I, I wouldn't have had to work on my psychology as much if I were just going into accounting, but I think going into a job where basically you're getting rejected constantly and you're putting yourself up in front of people like like me, like me, I never got enough love in my childhood. And then having people, you know, reject you. It's just, psychologically it's really, really difficult. And I think everyone feels it right. now because we're all kind of, because of Instagram and Facebook, we all have like a, a face we're showing to the world. So in a way people can all sympathize with how performers have probably felt for hundreds of years. But I think as a performer, it's even more heightened because when you're the brand that you, um, that you, that you're selling, it's so hard to keep that distance that, to not take it personally if people are rejecting you, because, I, you know, there's some people, I don't even know why, it's kind of, there's so many questions we could ask if we get into that, but some people will write something on YouTube, could be like, you suck, your music sucks, you, you know, whatever. They just really don't like you for some reason. And it's so hard for me not to respond, not because I'm upset at this point they do, but I just don't get what they get out of it. Because if you were getting free samples of soup on the street and you tried one, you're like, oh, that's not very good you you wouldn't go back to the person and be like let me tell you what's wrong with your recipe but it's i think the <laughs> cyberbullying is so you know what i mean it's such a weird thing it's like you're giving I know, people that's for free so well
3: said <laughs>
1: and then judge judge me you know um but i think you have to develop a strong sense of self and um for for everyone and i i guess i kind of want to encourage them and myself that as much as Music brings me the most in contact with the painful parts of my life that I've wanted to run away from, but it also brings me in contact with the, the, the way to transmute those and, and heal and move beyond them because all the rejection, all the feelings of not fitting in and of never being good enough no matter what you do, there's a total parallel between my childhood and what I experience, and I think most musicians or you know, in, in many professions experience every day. Um, so it's, it's kind of, I can see why a lot of musicians, it either drives them on to greatness or to self-destruction really, because it's, it's very painful. And, and the industry is, you know, music is such a beautiful, you know, natural part of, part of life. And it collides up against a business that's as, every bit as cutthroat as wall street. And I think for musicians, there's a real pain in that too, of, you know, art and commerce have always made such strange, uh, bedfellows. So it really takes you constantly coming back to yourself and trying to reaffirm that you love yourself and that you are enough because fame will come and go. Instagram will come and go. (laughs) You know, all these things are kind of and really in the end, you're kind of left with yourself. I know that's all kind of cliche, but I really do. I do believe it. And you know, we're all here to remind each other of that. I feel like.
3: I love that so much. Very well said. And I can't believe we're going to run out of time here any second. So I have about another page and a half of questions. So we're going to have to have you back real soon, either live in Palm Springs if we can, or after we get back home here to Ohio, I want to touch on a couple of quick things and we'll have to answer quickly here. Talk about a sure. little bit about the Broadway album, because I am a huge fan of Broadway, obviously chorus line, amazing Vita, of course, Talk about the inspiration for the album and what we can expect a little bit.
1: Oh, um, well, I'm really excited. It's definitely the most live record I've said, and it's a real hybrid of jazz and and Broadway tunes. And for me, I, I never want to do something the way I've heard it. I only want to touch a song. So every song we're doing, we're doing, you know, Evita. The guys in my band, and, and like you, I know a lot of kind of, more avant-garde Broadway shows which I love but for this project I was like you guys let's pick real real Broadway songs because in the jazz world there's a, a lot of people and I think there's a level of homophobia to it where they kind of really derive Broadway and, and make fun of it and I'm kind of like you guys Broadway gave jazz all of your best songs but when we were looking this nice. up I really wanted to make sure we were finding songs that weren't typically covered in a jazz setting and the arrangements are killer and we're really excited we have some good special guests which are are going to be on it who are quite well known and and i got to keep that under wraps for a few more weeks but it's um it should be in the next few months and actually you know i'll send you some top secret tracks to kind of hear what it's sounding like but it's it's really unique and it's it's a really great hybrid and almost all of the songs were originally sung by women which is we didn't plan it that way but then we kind of realized as we were putting it together, that that was uh, the case. And so that's kind of added a really unique spin. That's a great We got Jesus huh? Christ Superstar, Annie, uh, you know, South Pacific. We're kind of, you know, we're kind of hitting Carousel. We're hitting all the biggies. No I wicked. am looking forward to it, <laughs> and
3: I can't wait for Super Secrets. We, we're we're going to be talking off air, that's for sure. Now, you were awesome. supposed to play – um, in May on a cruise ship as do you know if that's going yet because you're part of uh, Dave Cause who I'm in love with I actually have a weird story of meeting Dave Cause I'll save for another interview with you but do you know if that's still oh, going that's to go great. yet or not
1: well I funny you should mention that I just was texting with Dave uh, last night because this obviously this year I'm glad we're not on it because we could still be stuck at sea. But um, they did just um, ask me if I would join them rescheduling. There's a lot of really amazing artists that'll be on it uh, next year in Europe, and of course I, uh, I I said yes. And I said, but don't worry, guys, I won't hold it against you if that doesn't happen because you know so much has changed. It's really it's really hard hard to know. But um, as as of last night, I am I am I think rebooked uh, this following summer but uh as Beautiful. of this point this may and this summer is going to be really about writing and recording and and uh I'm happy. I'm that works just fine
3: there you go and last thing i want to talk about real briefly here is like as i said you you're such a giving heart as well working with feeding america and border angels talk about what that means to you i mean especially in the age of 45 here border angels but talk about that for just a brief second
1: yeah, well, th- thank you. I, I I always like to, when, when I can. Um, well, one thing I will say is that I find kind of dis- disturbing is, is that um, things have been politicized that, that shouldn't be. And I think the problem with that is when, when you become so identified with an ideology, then certain things like human suffering, you're able to kind of turn a blind eye to it. Because if, if I was mm-hmm. saying I'm helping raise money for people in Somalia – then a lot of people, you know, would say, oh, that's, that's, that's terrible. Let's, let's, let's help him. I mean, not that that's terrible in doing that, but that's terrible that, you know, that's going on. But if you say, I want to help people who are stranded at the border, who are in camps or refugees, it's become something that it shouldn't be a controversial thing. I'm just, there's people hurting. And, you know, if you saw a guy in a stairwell, and maybe he's drunk, maybe he's not, but it's late at night, and he's kind of, swaying back and forth and he might fall over, you may not be able to help him. You may not approve of why he's there. Maybe his wife left him, maybe something but how could you ever fault someone else for wanting to help someone they look like who might be in, in a dangerous situation. And so I feel like that's one thing with all of the Corona talk that's going on is that people are not talking about people who are still waiting there, who were legally supposed to be granted asylum And or were able to stay, you know, at least be in the United States while they waited. And I don't think people realize that when people are seeking asylum, they generally almost all of the time really do things by the book and stay law-abiding because the stakes are very high. They don't want to mess it up. So I think having been down to Tijuana um, and and seen kind of the conditions and and once again, we've just made Mexico shoulder the entire burden. But our entire branding for centuries has been like, you know, give us your tired, your huddling masses, you know. And so there's a lot of people who would like to get home. And so this organization is wonderful. They provide legal counsel. They provide food and water because, you know, thousands and thousands of people over the past 10 years have died trying to cross over. Um, And they just do some really wonderful, wonderful things. And they're, um, yeah, I, I feel like, I want to encourage people to try to take a step back and, you know, I feel the same way as much as I don't approve of Republicans who can shrug at people, you know, in a, in a, in a camp or a five-year-old who might have Corona or, you know, a 90 year old and say, well, they were asking for it any more than I want my friends who are on the left to be uh, looking at, uh, you know, maybe a city in the Gulf that gets ravaged by, (laughs) a hurricane where people didn't believe in global warming and kind of kind of say that too. It's like, we we can't compartmentalize compassion. And I think that it's really important to be loud and proud when you see people who are hurting no matter where they are to, to champion um, any causes that are there to help people in need. So (laughs) there,
3: (laughs) I like it. Spencer Day, you are fascinating. I am loving every second of this interview, but it is done. <laughs> we ran out of time. Uh, let everyone know where they can find Guys, his YouTube channel is just under a million views. If you guys want to do a treat, listen to his covers on his YouTube channel. Let everyone know where they can find you on social, my friend, and give them your website, please.
1: I'm on Instagram as Spencer Day Music. I am on, uh, I'm on Twitter the, the same, and I am on SpencerDay.com, I think, for, for all other tour dates, when tours are a thing.
3: <laughs> there you go. When they are a thing again. Well, Spencer Day, thank you so much for being on Left to Straight Show. I really do appreciate it, my friend.
1: Oh, thank you. And anytime, I'd love to do it again.
3: All right, well, stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to play out, Spencer, and again, we're going to do a little Epi This is called China. When I come back, we're going to have another amazing singer-songwriter today right here on Musical Monday. Mr. Stuart Taylor will be joining us from L.A., so stick around. I will see you on the other side, and enjoy a little Spencer Day.
4: But we
0: never can agree
3: All righty, and we just finished up there. That was Epi Pacero and my last guest, Spencer Day, but we're going to keep the music coming, boys and girls. My next guest is a pop and R&B style singer-songwriter and a dancer who grew up outside of New York City. He graduated from the famous Berkeley College of Music and has worked with some amazing Grammy-nominated songwriters we're going to talk all about. His single, Mess Your Hair Up, was featured on Logo's New Now Next and Queerty's top 10 songs of the summer last year. And he's also been an active voice in our LGBTQ community. And his coming out story was featured in the New York Times bestseller, It Gets Better, Coming Out, Overcoming Bullying, and Creating a Life Worth Living. I'm so excited talking for the very first time on the Left the Straight Show. Please welcome Mr. Stewart Taylor. Stewart, how you doing, man?
2: Oh, uh, I'm good. Thank you so much for that introduction. That was so sweet. <laughs>
3: Well, I appreciate you? having you on. I'm doing fantastic. Cross your music quite by accident because I'm just not the best music person in the world. And Aww. fell in love, my friend. You got a great beat. You have a fun attitude, and you're handsome as hell. It's nice to look at. I Aww. like watching the videos. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much.
2: Well, I'm actually show. glad. No problem. Uh, my pleasure. I'm actually glad you you just um, happened upon the music or like stumbled upon it because, um, that's the beauty of the internet and just being able to share your, your work as an independent artist. It's, it's way more flattering when someone like you reaches out to me.
3: <laughs> oh, well, thanks for that. Let's talk about how you're holding up in uh COVID-19 quarantine 2020. You stay insane. Are you getting a lot of music writing done or are you just kind of going with the flow?
2: I'm trying to go with the flow, honestly, like, I think for the first four weeks, I was like, yes, this is the vacation I've needed, you know, like, uh, finally, things just calmed down a little bit, because I think the the artistic life can be really, really chaotic. Um, I after right. f- about 4 weeks was like okay I really want to get back to my life <laughs> but it's good there are good good days and bad days for everybody but I um I've still been able to work on music during quarantine over FaceTime which has been good it's definitely been new but um you just got to kind of do whatever you can to keep the creative muse kind of <laughs> kind of working for you during times like this
3: so it's been good right Well, good. Yeah, there's no right or wrong way to do a quarantine. We're all learning for the first time how this works, bro. I I, I applaud you. (laughs) As long as you're getting through it, you're you're better than half, believe me. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's talk about a little bit of background first. I want you to let everyone know about growing up outside of New York City. What kind of a kid were you, and what did you first want to be when you grew up?
2: Um, well, I grew up right outside of New York in a small town called New Canaan in Connecticut. It was like an hour train ride into the city, which I loved. Um, mm-hmm. I was definitely like a, a very artsy, really weird kid who liked musicals and uh, did theater and did talent shows and like, you know, just I've been writing song songs since I was about seven or eight years old, so I kind of just always knew that I wanted to be on stage and Uh, My mom signed me up for theater camp when I was about seven or eight as well. So it's just kind of been all I've known most of my life. And, yeah, definitely a strange kid and a strange adult. So it all worked out.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of great, though, to have a calling that early on. Talk about, though, going to Berkeley. I mean, such a prestigious school up there in Boston. My good friend actually from the area here, Dennis Drummond, went there. He was on The Voice a couple years ago. But I I know a lot of – Yeah, a lot of great people up there. Talk about what kind of experience that was going there.
2: Well, I think Berkeley was, like, one of the major turning points in my life because growing up in a small town, it was really hard to kind of uh, fit in as a musician, as a singer, as a songwriter, as someone who was just kind of not playing sports and not doing what I, I felt like all the other kids were doing. And it was definitely kind of a hard environment to grow up in. And then going to mm-hmm. New York um, and auditioning for Berkeley, and then eventually being able to go to Boston in Berkeley College of Music was just a total turning point because finally I was just surrounded by musicians, surrounded by singers, songwriters of all kinds, and it was it was really incredible. It was uh, just constant creativity, constant uh, meeting of new people, and performing. It was it was heaven
3: for me. I loved it. That's amazing. How do you like the Boston area, performing in and around Boston? That's an interesting city. I love it there. Yeah, I love Boston
2: too. Boston will always be another home to me for sure. Uh, I did a lot of like underground gay scene kind of performances in Boston. Uh,
0: There's
2: a a club that unfortunately is shutting down uh, fairly soon. They're one of those clubs that keeps saying they're going to close and then they don't. But um, in the fens, I had a residency at Machine Nightclub, which was right across the street from Fenway Stadium, Red Sox. So I performed there with my band like every Friday night or every other Friday and got to wear crazy outfits and do whatever I wanted and perform whatever I wanted and, um, you know, just just performing all over Boston, wherever I could get booked. And it was a really fun scene. I I loved it so much. It was great.
3: Nice. Machine has been there forever. I I can't believe I just did it. I always thought it was going to close. That's funny. Uh,
2: It's still there. So, yeah, I I believe it's still there. I know quarantine uh, has everything kind of, like, shutting down as well. But uh, it was – it's such a special place. And that's, like, what I think of most besides going to Berkeley. Machine, it was such a a fun queer space to be a part of and and just – that's where I first got introduced to drag queens and <laughs> just that side wow. of queer life. And I remember after performing there for two years, I I was just so enamored with with that whole part of the scene and that whole part of the culture that I wasn't really exposed to growing up. So it was it was just it was amazing. I loved it.
3: That is so So great. I actually lived in Springfield, Mass, on the opposite corner there for a while. So I'm going to Boston on occasion and fell in love with it, really. And it does have a very vibrant scene there. Did you ever take the ferry over, go around the Cape there, and hang out at P-Town much while you were there? So, unfortunately,
2: that's so funny. Like, I still have to have my P-Town moment. I have not gone yet. Because I think when I I did go to Cape Cod, Yeah, I know. So basically, when I went to college, I was just working nonstop going to class nonstop gigging in the studio. So if if it was a weekend, I'd be like waiting tables and, you know, funneling all of that (laughs) money I was making into my music. So there was really no time to go to P town. And and right after I graduated, I moved to New York. So it it hasn't happened yet. But it, it will absolutely happen in the future when i'm allowed to <laughs> nice
3: you need you need to be a good gay and get to provincetown at least once that's for sure i will I can, what about I, promise um, I will what about providence that that's a great vibrant gay city too it's a great music scene do you ever get over there that much you have that I opportunity there either
2: nope not yet i have some friends that have done some shows there so that's all on the bucket list for sure when i when i back you to go. The east coast
3: we good. have to get have you a better East coast gaze to That's all there is to it. Yeah. You're, you're missing out on hey. some scenes there, but that's okay. I, I you have plenty of time the scene in the New York scene. so <laughs> You're young and very good looking. You have time. You have time before either Aww. of those things go away. So you can make it out there. I like it. <laughs>
4: Thank uh, you.
3: <laughs> talk about um, the music scene, getting involved. I mean, as you say you've been kind of open and out throughout the entire thing, which is amazing the way we all should be if we can. Talk about that experience though and hitting up those walls that we find in the music business sometimes. Um have you did you feel that early on? Do you feel them lessening now or talk about your perception right now in queerness and music?
2: For sure, um, I think it, I think things have definitely gotten better. Um, a lot more doors have opened in you know the recent years. I think if we're talking about like nine, ten years ago when I was sixteen, seventeen years old, it was definitely a lot harder. I would say I know Adam Lambert had just kind of broken through, and and you know the music business wasn't really sure how to market him at first, but it just worked because he had such a big fan base from Idol. I know that I was turned away from certain shows for seeming too theatrical or gay or mm. being told by like a major record label that they, you know, wouldn't sign me or release my song because it seemed like it was talking about a guy, even though some, a lot of my music is very broad and some of it, you know, absolutely celebrates gayness and being open and queer. And some of it is much more broad and um, which I think it's good to have a mix of all of that. So it was very disheartening, I think, in, the beginning of my career, as I really started going to record labels in New York and playing producers my demos, and and being told no or being told too theatrical or too queer, which you know is mm. upsetting, but I I never let it stop me. And I when I went to Berkeley, that's when I really really started just embracing who I was because it takes it takes a long time. It takes a lot of unconditioning after you grow up in a small town and, you know, you get bullied or people say being gay isn't okay, which is awful. And, you know, you have to, you have to really just be your own pedal and and push yourself along and, and surround yourself with good people that are absolutely okay with you being who you are. And I've had the pleasure of working with some really great people in the music industry over the past decade, uh, straight and gay. And, I I have so many sessions with just a bunch of straight guys all the time and have amazing sessions with them, amazing <laughs> relationships with them. And, you know, I really do think in the next decade from here, we're going to see even more progress than we already have seen in, in the past couple of years. There's, there's so many people that are, are ready to stand behind the LGBTQ community and already are doing so. And you know even if it's been hard and there there has been pushback, I've definitely continued on my journey so it's it's definitely a work in progress.
3: That's awesome. I want to ask you the same question I asked Spencer earlier because your your coming out was definitely very well documented in that amazing book that we're going to put a link to in this episode oh, so they yeah. can get that book and read the story. But I want to know, when did you first come out to yourself, and when did you first find your LGBTQ tribe, and what was that experience like?
2: Well, I, I, it was very confusing for me because I definitely, I definitely identify as queer, and in that way, I feel like I'm less boxed into one thing, even though, you know, I am mm-hmm. – what you could call a gay man, but I I feel like I'm a very open-minded queer person. And I think growing up, I, I was still dating girls and had crushes on girls, but then I slowly, by the time I was 14, was like, oh, wait a minute, I think I'm starting to feel something for guys, too. And is this a phase? What is this? You know, it was very scary for me in the moment, as it is for most gay kids when they're kind of coming to terms with their queerness. And I'd say by 17, that's when I finally was just like, you know what? I, I identify as queer. I'm, I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm going to own this and I'm going to take my power back from all the the kids who try and bully me and try and make me feel bad about myself. And that's when I I came out at, you know, at my school around 17 to my friends and snowballed around school. And before I could even talk to my parents, my little brother (laughs) actually outed me and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah the rest was history
3: oh wow and yeah. where was the? you said that probably berkeley was where you first found your community what was that like finding that community in that sense of family
2: definitely well i to be honest there were maybe a couple kids i knew growing up that came out as, as gay or queer and i i didn't know many people to be honest so by the time i got some to Boston and went to Berkeley, that's when I started getting introduced to people like my boy Joe Bissell, who goes by Z Machine. He's an incredible singer-songwriter. Or my bassist, Dan Alport, who is also wonderful. And just tons and tons of people in the Boston gay scene that just kind of were a little bit older and took me in and uh, showed me kind of how to how to wave my freak flag very high in Bradley. and Bradley. Uh, and yeah, so I'd say Boston was, was for sure where I found my tribe. Absolutely. Nice.
3: And I loved how you talk about your queerness and accepting that. For a long time, I always just put LGBT on everything. I didn't embrace the Q because I thought it was P when we went to QIA and all that other stuff, but I think queer <laughs> yeah. is a good way to kind of say that and say that there's more there's pansexual there's omnisexual there's all sorts of these other things so i like that you accept that part of you as you are and don't and just keep that queer label so that's very cool yeah i like that i say gay i say queer all of that
2: stuff and that i think that makes it easier for people who are questioning or are still figuring it out to not feel left out and you know this has to be all-inclusive for, for everyone. And, and we have to be willing to have allies and willing to have people support us and, and, you know, willing to have people kind of take their time on their journey to figure out who they are. So that's really important.
3: There you go. Well said. Well, on that note, we are going to celebrate that playing our first of two songs here by Stuart. We're going to play Liberation. And I oh, love yeah. this track. We'll play that and then we'll be back on the other side and talk a little more and find out a little more about Stewart's career here. You're listening to left of straight show right here on left of straight radio network. (laughs) Liberation from my guest here, Mr. Stewart Taylor, dude. I told you off air. I love your music. Talk about um, some of your early stuff. Talk about the reception you got. And tell how do you think you've grown as an artist since when you first started releasing music.
2: Uh, well, I definitely started releasing my own music like when I was a teenager, kind of just like demo stuff back in the MySpace days, but once I went to Berkeley and, and started working with uh, songwriter, Carrie Aguardi in one of her classes, that was when there was a big shift and she was like, Stuart, I want you to get real. I want you to be more honest with your songwriting. I want to, I want you to write me a song about something that changed your life. And so liberation kind of was born from that conversation and that, that challenge, if you will. And kind of thinking about how being bullied growing up really changed me. And shaped me into the person that I am today and using all of that negativity as something empowering and something that Mm -hmm. I could hopefully help people with because I know bullying is, is still, it's a problem all over the world. And it, it, you know, we've made progress with combating it, but it's something that is still there. And so that was the first song that I released as my first single back in, I think 2015 actually, and that was the the song that got me on the radio for the first time, got me booked at Pride Gigs, like in Rhode Island. And you know, it was it's a very special song to me. And even though my style has definitely changed over the past four or five years and, and gone in a much more like funk pop R and B direction, I still always include that song in my sets because I think it's it's a special one and it's it hopefully inspires people to overcome a lot of adversity and just to be okay with, with owning who they are.
3: Nice. And what would you say you took out of learning from Berkeley? People that, I mean, there's some people that just start playing gigs and hitting every dive bar they can. When they, and you got, were fortunate enough to go study music. What do you think are the advantages of taking the time to go to school and learn music and maybe some of the disadvantages and just going out there and learning by trial and error at the different gigs?
2: Yeah, well, I think actually, um, like, I honestly feel very fortunate that I got to go there. And I I got a scholarship throughout my time there, which was very, very wonderful. Um, I'd say that even if I hadn't gone to Berkeley, I still would have been out there doing gigs and meeting people. Um, By the time I went there, I was about 19 years old. And all my life I had done theater, had been doing my own gigs. Uh, going with my bassist and my drummer into the city to play at the bitter end in New York. So I already had mm-hmm. a lot of experience with performing live before I went to Berkeley. But one of my teachers, Gwen Leathers, who I adore and love, and she kicked my ass <laughs> throughout Berkeley, <laughs> she said that Berkeley is for the people that really want to understand what's going on underneath the hood of the car, uh, musically speaking. And you're just surrounded by so many different kinds of musicians and so many different talented people and the things that I learned from you know being put in the studio with different artists and different producers when I was like working with Carrie Guardi in that class was incredible you you grow so quickly it's a, a very mm. accelerated period of growth when you go there and you kind of just have to rise to the occasion and push yourself really really hard in an environment like that or you drop out which is what happens to a lot of people, um, and some people kind of get what they, what they wanted out of it and leave after a couple semesters, but I, I was so engrossed in, in the whole scene there in Boston and, and loved Berkeley, so I was fortunate enough to graduate and just learn from some really, really great songwriters that are, are now out there really doing it, writing for, for big artists or becoming the big artists themselves. It's a it's a great school to go to. I really recommend it, young musicians out there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I love that you say under the hood kind of stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. Very, very it is. cool. Well, and then talk about talk about performing. I mean, all performing is on hold right now. Do you see yourself more as a touring performer and being out at the clubs or do you do you like to see yourself maybe going more of making more records a little more often and maybe going the studio route? What's your preference right now? Well,
2: at the moment, I, just like anyone else, since we're all in the same boat, I, I've done Instagram Live performances. I did one for Queer Moment a couple a couple weeks ago, actually, which was really nice just to to perform with my bass player and perform for whoever was watching online and to have a set to perform for people. That, that was just really nice. It, it felt like kind of a taste of what it's like to actually go out and perform on stage again. And uh, you know, all, all of my gigs have been canceled for 2020. So you kind of just have to throw your hands up and be like, okay, what can I do instead? So I think you're going to see a lot more Instagram live performances from artists. Um, I know that I am finishing new music right now during quarantine. And to be honest in the future, I would like to have kind of, a career like someone like ryan tedder or neo who write a lot for other people but are still fortunate enough to release their own music and have their own fan base as well just because i i love songwriting it's been something i've done ever since i could sing pretty much and uh you know sometimes you write so many songs that you can't possibly release all of them on your own unless you're someone like Prince. right <laughs> but um But even Prince wrote so many songs that he had to give a lot of them away. And I think there's so much joy in hearing someone else sing your music, too. And I just got my first cut as a songwriter last month with a Romanian artist named Antonia. Uh, The song is called Lie, I Tell Myself. And it's 100% my story with my ex-boyfriend. And it's so cool hearing a a different artist sing the story and bring it to life and share it with her fans. So I want to be able to do both
3: in a perfect world. Wow, congratulations. (laughs) That's amazing, though. And congratulations on the song. That's great. Thank you. you, Who would be your top three you want to write for right now? Who out there in music kind of stimulates you a bit that you would think you would like to put something together for them?
2: Um... Oh, man. Well, I think every pop songwriter would love to write a song for Britney Spears. That would be incredible, (laughs) for
3: sure. Right, and she needs Um, it. She needs the help right now. That's for sure. uh, Gotta get her back on track.
2: Uh, I I totally, I'm a total Gaga stan. I love Lady Gaga. I would would love to write for her one day or write with her since I know she writes everything or co-writes. And, you know, I really love Troye Sivan and Sam Smith. I would love to collaborate with those two and Just make great queer pop music for the masses with talented people like that. They're great.
3: That sounds fantastic. I love that. And what kind of um, songs do you have kind of percolating in you right now for yourself? Do you feel any kind of a certain vibe? You go in a certain way? Is this kind of giving you the feels to go one way or the other? Or do you just kind of whatever inspires you at the time?
2: Well, my last single called Mess Your Hair Up was really when everything kind of clicked for me musically and stylistically as an artist. And I was like, yes, that's where I feel most at home. Like I grew up on on Motown and MJ and Prince and The Temptations and love Robin Thicke's music. And so for me, I'm I'm definitely sticking with kind of uh, a pop R&B direction with a little bit of a funk dance twist to it. So Mess Your Hair Up just came out last year, and then my next single, which I won't give away yet, which will hopefully be out later this year, depending on the whole COVID situation. That one's also going to be really funky and pop, and just I just want to keep it fun and make people dance and make people smile with music right now. Definitely have some and, uh, yeah. some darker stuff, <laughs> but I'm not really to that
3: yet. <laughs> There you go. Well, you'll have to give us a special sneak peek when it gets closer to the release of the new one. And we're going to play out with uh, Mess Your Hair Just a Little Bit, Mess Your Hair Up. I love the video for it. I mean, you you are a dancer, my friend. You have some moves. Oh, thank you. I do, I do like, the, I mean, talk about a look. There's about 12 looks throughout the video. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing. Talk about the making of the video. How fun, was it as fun to shoot as it was to watch?
2: Oh my God. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad you liked it. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm a very visual artist and I have so much fun writing the songs. And for me, the whole thing comes to fruition when the video for the song is done too. And I just, I was inspired by Grace Jones and Robin Thicke and old Prince videos that I would watch on VH1 growing up. And I just wanted it to be joyful and, I, I'm also very inspired by, like, old Hollywood, Marlon Brando, and James Dean. So that, like, classic Hollywood look. So I, I made sure all of the business scenes were in black and white in a, you know, a, a cute dinner jacket. I just wanted to have, like, a nod to that kind of vibe and era, but also keep it really colorful. And it was a two-day shoot. Some of it was in Burbank. The 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 business champagne scenes that were a lot of fun to shoot were all shot on Hollywood Boulevard, And I just, you know, everyone in that video is a friend of mine that I've met along my journey in California, and it was so fun getting to bring my song to life and work with Johnny Rice, my choreographer. He's amazing. If you ever need dope choreography anywhere in the world, he's great. Um, So, yeah, it was was a tough video just in, in terms of planning so many ideas and kind of narrowing them down into something that was actually manageable was hard. But, uh, you know, even if it took several months to fund and th- several months to prepare for, I'm, I'm so proud of it. And, you know, it was worth it. It was worth the indie artist hustle to make it come alive.
3: Well, you should be proud of it. It's an amazing video, and I do love the black and white vibe and the choreography with all the laptops. It's, just, it's very cool. Very, very cool. Aw, thank you.
0: I love Thank it. Thank
3: you. And that kind of, your answer kind of brings me to my last question here. Um, talk about the different scenes from the New York music scene to the LA music scene. Have you felt a vibe change? Have you felt a different type of community? Talk about uh, how that's felt to you. Well,
2: I love New York and I love LA. I definitely think New York for me after, after going to Berkeley, I moved to New York for a couple of years just to work with some different producers and, to perform on the Lower East side and, you know, hit up all of the venues that I'd grown up hearing about. And I love the New York scene. It's electric, it's magnetic. It's, it's really tough too. It's a, it's a hard city to live in, but I feel like if you know the city and you've got a good group of people around you and you're doing something you love, you make it work. And I have so much family in New York city as well. So Uh, It was definitely a wonderful place to live and and to fall in love with someone. And that's who I wrote mess your hair up about. And I I had to eventually leave him to move to LA to really pursue my dream out here. Because as far as pop music goes, most of the sessions are out here. Most of the producers are out here. Uh, Most Mm -hmm. of the gigs that I, that I want now are in LA. And it was a really tough decision to make but thankfully, I, I actually really love the L.A. music scene. I think there's definitely less live music here because in New York, it's just everywhere. But, you know, if you can find some, some good places to perform out in L.A. too, it's a really great environment. And I love it here. I love having sunshine and palm trees every single day. And I think it's definitely changed my music in a way. It's made my music lighter and more fun and a little bit less gritty than it was in New York, which, you know, is okay. Both, both sides of that spectrum are good. But for right now, I just want to focus on the positive in life and, and make people smile
3: and make people dance. That is great. I love that. Very, very cool. Well, I've been enjoying chatting about music. I, I ran out of time with Spencer, but I think I want to play a little five questions for you. You for a little game here and answering five goofy questions for me. Yes, I love games. <laughs> all right. Well, this is called Five Questions With, and our, we're going to do questions with Stuart here. Um, talk to me. The lesson Straight Show is all about entertainment, foodies, and books. So I'm a huge foodie. Talk to me about what uh, Stuart Taylor's favorite food is, and give us a recommendation of where we should be eating in either L.A., Boston, or New York.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I love Chinese food. I love Japanese food. Um, I'm constantly going out for sushi with my friends out here. Um, Hopefully I can do that again soon. There's rock and roll sushi in West Hollywood, which is amazing. And very, very good sake there, too, if you're a sake drinker. And then there's a place called Sushi Stop in East Hollywood as well on Franklin, which is amazing.
3: Nice. Very good recommendations. I like that. And are you much of a reader? For question number two, do you have a favorite book, author, or genre when you ever have time to yourself to read that you can recommend to the listeners?
2: Yes, I love reading. I've been a reader all my life. Um, I love inspiring books. I I definitely read a lot of books by Brene Brown, too. Uh, I have Rising Strong on my bedside table over here. That one's really good. The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Lots of good stuff from her.
3: Nice, I like it. All right, and now we're going to get into the deep, hard-hitting questions of the evening. Are you ready oh, for yeah. that, Stuart? I'm all ready right. for you. Yeah. Question number three: <laughs> What is your favorite or go-to emoji when texting?
2: Ooh, always. I usually like the the emoji of the little guy with his tongue sticking out, giving you like a winking face. I do that one all the time. I like. it. Very
3: silly. I like it. Very nice, very nice. <laughs> All right, and pizza toppings. Favorite pizza toppings? Are you a purist one or two topping kind of guy or drag into to the kitchen and see what happens?
2: Ooh, I guess let's see what happens. I love putting olives on pizza too. I know some people might think that's gross, but olives, onions.
3: Ooh, I think I had that last night. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like, and question I number pizza. five. I hate to tell you, but you're about to be stranded on a desert island, but the good news is you can take your favorite album or CD and your favorite cocktail or beverage of choice with you. What are you going to bring with you?
2: Ooh, I'd bring some Chardonnay and I would have to bring maybe Purple Rain by Prince. Probably that, or I think it'd be a Prince record for sure. That or a Janet Jackson album. I'm not sure. (laughs) good
3: choices both i like that very good those
2: are my faves
3: thank you so much for playing five questions good job mr stewart taylor (laughs) it was fun all right well let's uh let the listeners know where they can find you give your website out give where they can find your music videos and where they can find you on social media my friends
0: Awesome.
2: Well, if you guys like Instagram, I'm Stuart Taylor Music on Instagram. Uh, my new single, Mess Your Hair Up, is on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, all under Stuart Taylor. It's S T E W A R T. Because a lot of people think I spell it with a U, but I don't. Um, and then my <laughs> new video is on, on YouTube, and you can visit my website at stuarttaylorofficial.com. And that's Fantastic. all. Fantastic.
3: I <laughs> like it. Stuart Taylor, you've been amazing to talk to. We have to have you back on real soon and hopefully get a sneak peek of some new music coming out in the fall. Thanks for being on the Left and Straight Show, my friend.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, guys.
3: All right. Well, stay on the line for me, Stuart. Guys, we're going to play out to the aforementioned Mess Your Hair Up. As I said, you (laughs) have to see this video. It's absolutely amazing. Check out Stuart's work, and I'll be back to wrap things up. On the other side, you're listening to the Left and Straight Show Right here on the left of Straight Radio Network
0: I see you got your hair looking just right, And your rock and bad jacket I like. Gonna wait and think it all lock it you you're my. Been too long. Put the body on me, Only, on me. Waiting on you for the whole damn week.
4: It's gonna mess your hair
0: up so you can't go to work. I'm a- out
3: you go we are back that was Stuart Taylor with mess your hair up guys it was such a fun music Monday today I hope you guys all enjoyed it as much as I did a big shout out and thanks to Jay Knight up in Buffalo New York for his very first musical minute we're going to be looking forward to that every other Monday so look for him in two weeks and be sure to check out his featured artist Maddie Olds she had some amazing music for us Then, a big shout out again to I really appreciate Spencer Day coming on the show. I've been wanting to have him on forever, and we will have to have him back real soon. Check out all of his music. Like I said, his YouTube page has amazing cover songs and his original music. Buy music from these independent artists, especially during Corona 2020, because no one's out there making money in any gigs. So be sure to go out there. And then finally, thanks again to Stuart Taylor. Three different styles, three different amazing pieces of music, and I'm so glad to have them on. Guys, I have an amazing week of shows for you today, uh, this week, and I want to talk about it. Uh, Starting tomorrow, we're going to have brand new shows for the rest of the week, every day, Tuesday through Friday. you will be at 6 o'clock Pacific Time, starting at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. I have three more course, our four more correspondents coming on, special correspondents. Tomorrow we're going to have Enoch Miller, the Empress of WeHo. It's going to give us a West Hollywood, West uh, Southern California entertainment minute about what's happening on there. Then on Wednesday we're going to have another episode of J&J Buzz with our good friends Josh and Jeffrey from Nashville, Tennessee. On Friday we're going to have our very uh, first fitness segment with Jason Caceres. We kicked it off last week with our good buddy, Jake Taylor, but we'll have Jason on this Friday. And then as far as guests go, I got some amazing interviews coming for you. Ryan Carnes is coming back on the show. Of course, Ryan was in the eating out movies. He's been most recently on general hospital he was on Desperate Housewives. He's got some great music he's been working on with a collaborator. We'll talk all about that. We're going to have our buddy Dell Shores on and people from the Sorted Lives. They are doing an amazing project. If we haven't talked, I've said amazing a hundred times in the show, haven't I? Anyway, the Sorted Lives group is doing a fundraiser on May 31st where they are going to be doing a reading of the play Sorted Lives with all of the incarnations of the cast. They're going to have Leslie Jordan there for Brother Boy, who, of course, is blown up on social media during all this. Ann Walker's going to be back with her character, Luttrell. We're going to have Newell and Rosemary Alexander reprising their roles. We're going to have Caroline Ray on. And the entire reading is going to be a fundraiser for theater companies across the country. They're going to be raising money for over 20 theater companies, auctioning off special Sorted Lives material. So we'll have Dell on this week talk about that, and then we're going to be talking to Ann and to Newell and to a bunch of the cast people over the next two weeks until that happens on the 31st. Also this week, I have an amazing actor, Ronaldo Pacheco. You might have seen him on... um, Crisis. This is We Are Crisis with Sandra Bullock. He'll be on the show. We're going to have uh, Minneapolis. We're going to have the owner and founder of Flip Phone Events, Mr. Chad Campion. He's doing amazing work out there in Minneapolis. Plus, he was the founder of the Golden Girls Cruises out of Florida this past year. And he has Golden, Cruise Cru- Golden Girls Cruises lined up for the next couple years. We're going to have John Arthur Hill on Wednesday. He is an amazing producer. He's a radio personality in his own right. He's on Radio Andy on and Sirius XM. And he is a Broadway actor and so much more. He's going to be a great person. We will have on... Uh, Oh, we're going to be talking about the Park Ridge Lodge in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I have the owners of the lodge on. If you're looking for a getaway this summer in the fantastic Smoky Mountains, not too far from Dollywood, go to Park Ridge Lodge. We're going to have on who else? Oh my goodness. So many people. Shane Feldman is an amazing motivational speaker and he works with all of the top businesses in leadership courses. And who else we're going to have? We'll have Bill DePierro is going to be on, a fantastic ally and actor and comedian. And Brett Nichols will be on, also another amazing actor. So lots of great stuff happening. And just added today, as I told you in the beginning, we are also going to have the amazing Peter Page from Queer as Folk and Creator of the Fosters and Something About Harry So an amazing week of shows, and I'm going to learn a different word from amazing by the time you get back, I promise. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Be sure to click subscribe if you ever miss any of the live episodes. You can download us at all of your favorite podcast distributors like Apple Podcasts and iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, so many other Stitchers. Of course, Blog Talk Radio, we're live every day so be sure to do that and follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Left of Straight. Left of Straight always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. On Facebook, it's a Left of Straight show page. And my personal profile is public for Scott Fullerton. Send me a friend request. And you can always see what's happening on the Left of Straight website where we're going to have all of our Big Gay Road Trip details coming up this week. That's www.leftofstraight.com. So, again, thanks to all my guests tonight, Jay Knight, Spencer Day, and Stuart Taylor. It was a wonderful day of music, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Have a great evening, everyone. Bye-bye.